0: We're turning to the book of Job, and the ninth chapter, the book of Job, chapter nine. And so that particular uh, part of the meeting that's just ended there with the children means that we're coming in at a little later point in the service for the preaching. But nonetheless, we want to turn to God's Word and as He helps us uh, consider what He has laid upon my heart. I want to turn you tonight to a passage Uh, that contains a verse on which I have never preached before. And I trust that when I finish tonight, you'll say, I wish you would never preached on it at all. I hope that doesn't happen. But that the Lord will bless it to your hearts and to your souls. So we're going to read some verses here in Job chapter 9. Before we do so, let us just bow in prayer and let's commend our way to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the house of God for the gatherings of Thy people on Sunday nights. And we thank Thee for all these little children, young people who have so enthusiastically entered into that program of showing their interest and their desire to be in God's house. And we pray that Thou wilt bless them, everyone. And may the Word of God lodge itself with power in their hearts. May they have yearnings and longings for Thee rising up within their souls. And may they know the Savior and be delivered from their sin and know that blessed experience of peace with the everlasting God. And so be with us now. We need thy help, Lord. Shut us in with thee for a time. Settle us before thee. Take away every distraction. Remove all thoughts of yesterday or tomorrow. O Lord, may our minds be focused on what thou wilt say to us. Anoint me, O Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart in the blood of the Lamb. Give help by Thy grace and by the Spirit's power. And speak this night. And work on hearts, we pray. We ask this for Jesus' sake and for His glory. Amen. So, Job chapter 9, and we'll read from verse 25 down to verse 35. And Job says, Now my days are swifter than a post they flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water, and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any days man betwixt us, that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me, then would I speak. "'and not fear him, but it is not so with me.'" Amen. And God will bless the reading of His Word to our hearts. It is verse number 33, to which I want to bring your minds, your attention this evening, where Job says, "'Neither is there any day's man betwixt us "'that might lay his hand upon us both.'" Now, in this verse, in its own setting, We have words that, spoken by Job, refer to his spiritual struggles as he reasoned with the Lord over the experience of great affliction. Job felt himself to be at a great disadvantage in coming before God. That is signaled by the words of verse 32 that precedes our text, where Job says, verse 32, "'For he is not a man.'" as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. However, believing that his friends, the three men who were by his side at this point, Liphaz and Bildad and Zophar, believing that his friends were misstating and misrepresenting his position, Job longed to have his case set out before the Lord to obtain a just outcome. In addition to these issues, Job also saw another related and a very pressing necessity, the involvement of what he calls a day's man, as is stated in this verse. He says, in the negative, neither is there any day's man betwixt us, that is, between him and God, and between him and his friends as well, of course, that might lay his hand upon us both. Now, the word days man could also be read middleman or umpire or even mediator. Job was persuaded that there was need for a person to interpose between him and his three companions in the case that is going on and settle it satisfactorily. He longed essentially for someone who on one hand, would deal justly on God's behalf, and yet on the other hand, deal kindly with Him, Job himself, who was mere flesh and blood. And that is the sense of this verse as we read it in this chapter in its own setting, in its own context. This is what Job longs to have, a dazed man who would intervene, who would interpose himself and settle this case that was going on between him and his three friends. Job's words remind us that there is an age-old quarrel between God and men that needs to be settled. A quarrel that began in the Garden of Eden when Adam, as the representative of the entire human race, broke God's law. And, of course, man has been breaking that law ever since. And so, in the court of God, there is a lawful suit, we might say, and very uh, deliberately say that and, and meaningfully say that. In the court of God, there is a lawful suit against mankind brought by the lawgiver, the God of heaven, the judge of all the earth. God Almighty, therefore, in that case between him and men, God Almighty is the one whom you call the plaintiff. He is the righteous plaintiff. And fallen man is the guilty defendant. In that suit against man that is tabled in the divine court, well, it must go against the sinner unless something very important happens, which I will come to in a moment or two. You see, the first man or sorry, the first psalm rather, states that the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. That is a categorical statement of man's awful plight. There is no hope that any sinner will be able to stand accepted at the final judgment if he leaves the matters of his sin and his debt against God unsettled in this world, remaining until that dreadful hour. You see, my dear friend, recognize therefore the urgency of this situation which you as a sinner find yourself. If you were to be delivered up to, uh, through death tonight to God the great judge, there is not even the slightest hope that your case will be decided otherwise than your eternal ruin and everlasting damnation. That is how serious the matter is. That's how solemn the case is between God and sinful men. And you need to understand that. You're in trouble with God. You're in debt to God. You're a sinner before God. If that case is not settled before you die, before you leave this world, then it will go against you forever. Forever. And there will be no settlement of it, either after death or throughout eternity. In His infinite grace, God the Judge Himself has provided a day's man, like the one of whom Job speaks in this text. And I want you tonight, my friend, you who are not saved, be anxious to have the case settled that is against you in the only way possible. That's the issue. That's what Job is thinking about here. In his case, with regard to his situation, and his three friends there by him who are criticizing him and condemning him, misrepresenting him and unjustly judging him, he wants somebody to step in and settle that. But I urge upon you tonight, man, woman, young person, even little child in this meeting, that you need to have your the case that's against you settled. And there's only one way for that to happen, as I've already indicated, and that is through a day's man. And thank God there is a day's man, the Lord Jesus Christ, a mediator, an umpire, a middleman. Remember, that's what the word means. It's all those meanings someone who will stand between God and men, and who, based on His redemptive work, can lay His hand upon the plaintiff almighty God who brings the case against you and pleads against you on the basis of His law, and you, on the other hand, the defendant, hopelessly and helplessly lost. There has to be a day's man found, and thank God that day's man is in view In what Job says here, and throughout all of the Bible, there is a day's man. That's the glorious message of the gospel of grace. And in that, there is the assurance, therefore, that if you come on God's terms to the settlement of this case to do with your sin, you will find that as you surrender to God's way of salvation through Christ, the day's man, your case will be settled now and forever. Let us think about that tonight. From Job's words here, we can glean a number of truths about Christ, our days man. And first of all, we must think about his appointment to that role. The days man's appointment, that's the starting point. The appointment of a days man between God and sinners. Now, regarding the quarrel between, and a righteous quarrel on God's part, between a holy God and sinful men, we are essentially dealing, remember, with legal matters that need to be settled, either on the ground of strict justice or, on the other hand, on the ground of sovereign grace. And let me say again, if that case between God and men is settled based on justice alone, you will perish. Indeed, all of humanity would perish. But if it's settled on the ground of grace and grace alone, then, thank God, there is mercy. And so, with regard to this day's man, he has been appointed with regard to the resolving of this quarrel between God and men, it can only take place when a day's man intervenes. And he can only intervene when he's appointed to take the case and act in a way by which he settles that dispute that man's sin has caused. And so, in God's great covenant of grace and mercy and redemption, a day's man has been appointed. That's at the very heart of the covenant of God. That is why we can speak about a covenant, a covenant of grace, a way of salvation, a way of mercy, a way of redemption, a way of deliverance, because at the very heart of it, there is a middle man, there is an umpire, there is a days man appointed from all eternity. And let me tell you something, this days man, of whom we're thinking tonight and whom we're considering in the light of this verse, he must be pleasing and acceptable to both parties in the case. Understand, may I say at this stage, sinner, understand something very important here. God the Father is infinitely pleased with God the Son. And that for many reasons. But that has to be the case. If anyone's going to represent us as sinners before a holy God, God must be pleased with that representative, that day's man. And that's what the Bible teaches us. He's pleased with His own dear Son. Did He not say on various occasions, speaking from heaven, this is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And let me tell you, friend, He's pleased with His Son because His Son is God, the Son, of the same substance as the Father, equal in power and glory with the Father, and beloved of the Father. And then on the other hand, this day's man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is truly man. He's both. He's pleasing to the Father because He's God. As I've said, God has declared that over and over again in His Scripture. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. God the Father delighting in the person of His own blessed Son. And yet on to sinners how pleasing Christ is when we start to think about who He actually is. This true man, but this impeccable man. Oh, you see, that's the issue. That's the kind of person, sinner, whom you need to represent you in God's great courtroom. You need someone who's God with whom the Father is pleased. And you need someone who's man in whom you can delight because of the loveliness of him, because of the, of the delightsome character that he has, the pure nature, the impeccable humanity you cannot but be delighted in Jesus Christ if you only started to think about Him and focus on Him as He is set before you in the Word of the living God. The true, the impeccable humanity of Christ who fixed His mind on doing the Father's will perfectly, there was an occasion when the Lord said this, among many other statements that He made about His relationship with His Father as the man Christ Jesus. He says in John eight twenty nine, I do always those things that please Him. Christ could say that with regard to being the man who came into the world to save sinners, He said, I do always those things that please Him, please my Father. And Christ is the darling of the Father, the delight of the Father, and all His beauty and holiness and loveliness. And as He came into the world, He humbled Himself. He was tempted, and patiently and fully He suffered the miseries of this life and in doing so, he, he gave a perfect obedience to the Father's law, and he satisfied the law, that the, the Father's mind, with regard to this issue of our sin, and the law that we have broken by our sin. And then at the end of that blessed life, he laid down that life to make an atonement. And that's why Christ is pleasing to God and men, to men like you and me, sinners like you and me, who come to understand we need a day's man? Where will we find him? Where will he be found? Where will he be discovered? Can we find him among men otherwise and outside of Jesus Christ? No! There's no man who doeth good and sinneth not. And therefore, there's only one man who stands out in human history, and it's not even Adam because Adam was susceptible to failure, and Adam failed, and Adam sinned, and it seemed the whole race was doomed. And yet God spoke and said that the seed of the woman would come and gave the promise of the Redeemer as soon as man had fallen and spoke of one who would be perfect and who would be lovely in his nature, and sinless in his character, and he would stand in between God and men as this day's man in order to save men from their sins because he is the eternal Son who became man and who is therefore qualified to save sinners. Let me tell you, sinner, that ends the discussion, as it were, of who is suited to be day's man. It ends all the debate. And the debate has raged on, you know, for centuries. And false religions, and especially with regard to professing Christendom, the religion of Romanism, which is against the mind of God and the Word of God, has kept projecting and presenting so-called mediators, the one after the other, and putting them into the place of Jesus Christ, And that is why Rome is Antichrist and can't be judged any other way but Antichrist because Rome gives the place that belongs to Christ alone, to Mary, to angels, to so-called saints, And Rome denigrades and denies the blessed work of this day's man and tells sinners to do their best and do what they can and they might get to heaven at the end of it all and leaves them in total despair and in utter darkness. No, we must find a day's man who is suited to save us. And there is this blessed day's man. Let me ask you, sinner, are you willing to put your case into His mighty hands tonight. I ask you that question. I ask it to you very pointedly. Are you willing to put your case, because you have a case before God that needs to be answered and needs to be settled. Are you willing to put your case into the hands of Jesus Christ, in whom the Father delights, and in whom you will delight if you only could see who He is and flee to Him in all your need and all your sin and all your darkness, obeying the gospel as Isaiah put it, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then return on to his God who will have mercy on him and who will abundantly pardon. My dear friend, obey the gospel and get to Christ, the only days man that there is the only one who has been appointed by divine appointment and who's able to save the vilest sinner on the face of the earth. There's a lot more I would love to say on that point of his appointment, but I will leave it tonight. and I'll move on to say this, not only the day's man's appointment, but I want to call the day's man's arbitration. Now, as I said earlier, we're in a legal issue here. I want you to get a hold of that. You know, sometimes people will look at a preacher when he says, justification is a legal transaction, and they look at him with puzzlement because they don't understand what has happened between God and men. Justification is a legal issue. Do you understand that, sinner? As you sit in this meeting tonight, you are already condemned. You are not righteous before God. Rather, He declares in the light of His own word, in the light of a broken law, and the light of your own wickedness and sinfulness, that you are unrighteous, unjust, Therefore, condemned already, and the wrath of God is abiding on you as I speak to you. And there's only a brittle thread that's keeping you out of hell. That's the truth. That's imperative with regard to its being said. And therefore, there is an arbitration that needs to be carried through. And with the utmost seriousness, the Lord Jesus, our day's man, our mediator, has entered into this work, and here's the essence of the arbitration, bringing God and men together. And you're familiar with, well, I don't know how familiar you might be, but you might be familiar to some degree with the courtroom of our own land. And when a case comes up, well, it has to be arbitrated there has to be a, a, a attention given to it, and there has to be a working through that case, and a resolution needs to be found of a legal kind, of a legal nature. And the arbitration, my friend, that is essential with regard to the saving of your soul is that somebody not only must be found to be, to be the arbitrator or the days man, but he must act, on behalf of the two parties who are the parties in the case. Let me just tell you what the Lord Jesus Christ therefore does in His arbitration of this whole case that exists between God and man. To begin with, He calls on God, so to speak, and the sinner to enter their plea. And you know that. In a a law court, in a legal case, the plaintiff puts in a plea with regard to the criminal, what the criminal has done, how he has wronged the plaintiff. And the plaintiff, therefore, puts in his plea. And let me tell you, the Bible shows you that God states His case against man. Plainly. Oh, if only sinners get a hold of this, that man is guilty of willful sin, of deliberate disobedience, of ungodly wickedness, and the breaking of God's law. And my friend, God states that repeatedly in this book. I could take you to many, many verses and passages that make that clear. But as I was preparing this message, the one that came to my mind is one that many of you learn from your childhood. It's in Romans 3. And it begins in verse 10. And here is God stating his case against the sinner. In fact, yeah, it begins in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. This is the entire human family. And it continues to say this. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp was under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. So I can't take any more time to read those verses. But did you not learn them? Have you not some knowledge of them, sinner? Notice where it starts. There's none righteous, no, not one. Without exception, the whole human race is guilty. And on down these verses, the Lord goes, and exactly quoting from the Old Testament through the Apostle Paul, statement after statement out of Old Testament Scriptures, until he gets to the peak in verse 19, as Paul sums it up, and he says this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that... Every mouth may be stopped, and all the world become guilty before God. There is the classic passage in all scripture where God's case is stated His case against the sinner. The divine plea is that the law must be upheld. And the law, from that divine judicial point of view, is upheld in the everlasting punishment of the ungodly. We see, this is a truth. And this is a verdict from the mouth of Almighty God that demolishes every lie, that has crept out of hell about how good man is or the things that he can do and the way in which he can live to make amends. And if he does enough, God will be pleased with him. No, my friend, there's none of that here and there's none of that anywhere in God's precious Word. And so God enters His plea, man is guilty. And the law's single satisfaction will only be found in the implementation of divine wrath upon the ungodly. To that, what is the sinner to plead? What's the sinner going to say? Sinner, listen to me. I set before you God's plea. What He says about you. What's your response? Let me tell you tonight, You're in a judicial setting in this gospel meeting. You're in a courtroom scene. You're being brought to the assizes of God. He's speaking to you. He's revealing to you the nature that you have within you, the transgressions of which you're guilty, the terrible situation that you're in. And He's showing you that the law demands your eternal ruin. His divine plea is that Now, the only way the law can be satisfied is by everlasting punishment. What do you say to that, sinner? What's your response? Or to put it another way, what should it be? And I'll tell you what it should be. Your cry should be before God tonight guilty as charged. I deserve, this is what should come out of your lips right now, out of your heart, never mind your lips, I deserve the lowest hell. And I have no excuses to make. You need to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to come before you and tell you, tell him, that is, tell the Lord, well, I'm no worse than others. Or come before the Lord and say, I have done many good things. Or come before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I'll do better in the future. Those are the excuses that men make. Their so-called responses to God's plea against them. They come before the Lord and they seek to mitigate the situation by making out that they're not as bad, they're not as, they're not as sinful as somebody else or, or whatever it might be. And you know, though all those excuses are worn out. They're worn out with hundreds of years of use. And they're worth nothing. Nothing my dear friend, the Most High God does not entertain them at all. Your confession needs to be that the divine verdict about you is right. That it is honorable, and furthermore, it should be implemented at once. Now get a hold of that, friend. Let me tell you something, if you really are serious about your soul and anxious to be saved and to find deliverance from your sin, you will go that far. You will come before the Lord and you'll say, Lord, what you say about me is perfectly true. And I make no excuses. And Lord, at this moment, if I were to get what I deserve, I would already be in hell. My friend, that's the truth. And you know, that's how it will be in the judgment day. The judgment day, sinner. There's a judgment day coming. where every tongue will confess, along with every knee bowing, to the judge of all the earth. And you know what that means? It means what the word confess means. In the Bible, to say the same thing on the day of judgment as the verdict is read out and man's everlasting ruin is, is uh, brought forth in the words of the Almighty and sinners are sent away from the judgment throne. It says that these shall go away into everlasting punishment. They will go away saying in the very light of the judgment day that this is The verdict that I deserve to have passed upon me. Now, do you see what I'm saying? God issues his plea. They're guilty, they deserve eternal hell. And if you will enter your plea as it ought to be entered, you will say the same thing Lord, I'm guilty. I deserve everlasting justice and eternal wrath. And so, in the light of all that, as Christ arbitrates this case and does it in this manner and calls God to witness against sinners and calls sinners to respond to God's verdict about them, what is the sinner to do? You might say, I'll shed some tears. I'll lament. I'll feel sorry about what I've done. I'll do all these things. You see, that's different from making excuses. You might say, well, if i put on a little display of, of some remorse and some sorrow and shed a few tears, surely that will prevail. No, my friend, it will not prevail because the principle of justice must be upheld. God will not be deviated from implementing his justice by a few tears. Him is saying, Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. You can weep, you can feel sorry for yourself or for what you've done, as much as you might think would be suitable, but it is worth nothing. The verdict is the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And you're facing that. But, my friend, in his arbitration, the Lord Jesus not only steps in and calls upon God and the sinner to present their pleas, he does something more. He steps in and he presents a pledge of his own. What's that? Well, that's what the gospel is all about. The days man steps in when the pleas have been presented and God has made it absolutely clear that his justice will not be undermined that eternal hell is real, that everlasting punishment is coming upon the world of the ungodly and the sinner must surrender to that. Otherwise, there's no hope for him at all. And then the, the day's man comes and he goes and he says, I will, I will pay everything that is due to the plaintiff's case. I will make satisfaction." unto God's justice. I will do a work that will bring everlasting righteousness in to the whole picture whereby God can justify a sinner or declare him righteous on the basis of the work of the day's man and the pledge that he makes to fulfill the law and send the sinner away free, absolutely free. The condemnation gone, the, the justice satisfied, you see, and all that the man or the woman who has lived in sin deserves. It's all gone now because Christ has come. The days, man, He has stepped in. He has said, I will, I will take the sinner's place. I will fulfill the law. And so we watch Him leaving heaven this day's man. We watch him stooping because he did stoop, stooping to become man. We watch him permitting the devil to tempt him. We watch him undergoing all the miseries of this life. We watch him subjecting himself to the the scorn of men voluntarily placing himself under the law that man has broken and giving it, that law, a perfect obedience. We watch him in Gethsemane as he sweats his great drops of blood because the curse is already descending on him. And we watch him on that middle tree at Calvary where as our surety and our substitute The penalty of the law fully descends. And it extracts from Christ the satisfaction of its full curse. And what are we watching? We're watching the days, man. In the light of the pleas that have been presented, God is holy, man is a sinner man is without hope unless God's honor is upheld and God's law is fulfilled. And the wrath of that law that we deserve and will taste and we will experience forever outside of Christ is brought against us. Jesus Christ took it. And he endured the full stroke. What is that? That is the day's man entering the holy court of justice and settling the case between God and men and reconciling the two parties. That's what we're watching as I take you through what the Scripture reveals about our blessed Savior. And that brings me, therefore, as I come near a close tonight to the, the day's man's accomplishment. You know, in human courts and human circles, cases go to arbitration, and they're supposedly settled, but the disputes run on and on and on. Isn't that right? Has that happened in God's courtroom? Has this great day's man of whom Job speaks failed somehow or other? To settle the matter and bring peace and accomplish a work so that God is satisfied and He, what He has promised to do, that is to give men forgiveness and accept them as He sees His own dear Son will actually take place. No, Jesus Christ has dealt once and for all with the sins of those whom he represented, and who trust him as their Savior and their Redeemer. That's indicated in so many ways in the Bible. That's why Mr. Shirt read tonight in the opening reading from Isaiah 38, where you have Hezekiah speaking there of his sins been cast behind God's back. And in the book of Isaiah, again, you read of the sins of men being blotted out. And in the book of Micah, you read of men's sins being cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. And in Psalm 103, you read of our sins if we trust the Lord Jesus being removed as far as the east is from the west. How can God do that? How can He cast our sins away so that they'll never be remembered, they'll never be raised, they'll never be brought against us? Because Christ has settled the account. I said this before and I'll say it again. There's an old, quite an old gospel song and it goes something like this. And I know it's sung very sincerely by people most likely who, who really mean it. And they say the old account was settled long ago and then they say I settled it. No, my friend, you did not. You do not settle anything, Christian. Christ settled your account. He settled it long ago at the cross, and all you did was trust Him on the basis of an account already settled. That case between God and men settled at the cross so that when you trust in Jesus Christ, you trust in someone whose precious blood cleanses from all sin, whose perfect righteousness becomes yours. And God looks in you and loves you and accepts you and treats you in the very same way as he does all that toward you the Savior. It's wonderful. It is marvelous. It's the gospel. And so when Job said, neither is there any days man betwixt us that may lay his hand upon both, and he uses those words, that may lay his hand upon both, the idea is to bring them together. And that's what he accomplishes. God and men reconciled the enmity gone, peace secured, acceptance in the beloved. How will you benefit from this blessed work? The appointment of the day's man, the arbitration of the day's man, the accomplishment of the day's man, how will you benefit from it? When you come to Him, and you trust Him. Now, sinner, are you you ready to do that? It's all a sinner can do, you know. Seek Christ. Trust Christ. Are you ready to do that tonight? Have you been thinking about this and mulling it over? And you're troubled, you're anxious. You to no peace with God. You don't want to know that all is well with your soul. Those thoughts maybe have been going through your mind. Oh, you can come and go from this house and you may be on a kind of a, a bluster and you want everybody to think you're happy and all's well when it could not be farther from the truth because you leave the house of God and you go home and you feel lonely and desolate and you've no peace. And you've got fears, and you maybe can't sleep. And you find your heart quaking within you. You're afraid to sleep and you're afraid to go to work or whatever you do in life. Ah oh, my friend, you've got to end all that. You need the savior. Todays, the man. There is a days, man, between God and men. Job couldn't see it with regard to him and those other three fellows, but we can see it with regard to someone standing in between God and men. Come and seek Him. Trust Him. Let us bow together in prayer as we come to a close Let's just bow quietly, reverently before the Lord. Before I close in prayer and end the meeting, may I say to any who are troubled and anxious and would long to be saved, that Mr. Stewart and I are here to help, to give counsel, to open up God's Word with you and lead you to the Savior, that you might be brought to know Him even this night. So do not just rise and go home as you've done numerous times. But seek the Lord. Seek Him this night. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will do what He alone is able to do. We pray that sinners will pass from death unto life and that Thou wilt save them. Draw them to Christ. Give them understanding. Bring them to faith and repentance. O Lord, draw them with the cords of love. And we'll give thee the praise and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his eternal praise. Amen.